And if you want the entourage to help you provide and maintain a secure environment for the boss to live, work and rest, socialize, then you've got to help them succeed as well. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Who's in your entourage? Today, we're delighted to be speaking with longtime listener, first-time caller, Frank Cannon, who has been diligently mapping out the ecosystem beyond the normal protector experience. We're going to be looking at how, yes, concierge service is a way of life for many protectors, but, but how far does that go? We're going to be coupling this episode with a variety of other segments, including uh, looking at the family office, a canine assets, looking at uh, the butler, looking at the wider ecosystem of partners. And actually, that's another really positive message about this uh, week's episode. Who is your partner? Everyone is potentially your partner. And, and, and I think that's a great sentiment for the industry right now. You might not be the prime contractor always, maybe you're going to be a second tier, third tier sometimes, but always in the ecosystem and entourage. So for me, this is quite a special episode. Frank has been coming to our events for a long time, and he's really got a massive grasp of the entire canon of the Circuit Magazine podcast. So I'm delighted to personally recommend this episode to you and recommend Frank as a great person to get to know. So without further ado, who's in your entourage for the Circuit Magazine podcast? And now, let's meet one of the contributors to The Circuit magazine. Developing the security entourage. We're here with Frank Cannon, founder of Cannon Asset Protection, and we're going to be looking at this wider topic to make your executive team a big success. Frank, it's a great pleasure to have you on. How are you doing? No, very good, thank you, and thanks for inviting me on. I, I'm, a, I'm a, an avid listener uh, of all of your episodes, and uh, through today, I might, I might link back into some of those, some of those earlier uh, episodes. So hopefully, I can, I can demonstrate that this is my, the bit that we're going to talk about today. It's just one small part of the bigger picture. Thank you, and and yes, you you frequently, uh, you know contact me and, and and sort of refer to different episodes that our previous guests have have sort of uh, been on and, and and points made so wonderful to make those connections to the wider circuit magazine uh, podcast canon um but but we're talking entourage now it's not a it's not a tv series we're talking about we're talking entourage now what what do we mean by this what's the what's the problem that we're trying to solve by setting up a successful entourage so so here's a Here's the thing, you know, the word problem for me is the problem. I, I like to see it as a challenge or, or an opportunity. So I want to offer an opportunity here. Um, many of your guest speakers talk about the capacity, the capability of an individual EPO or an incredibly small team that's uh, synonymous with the private industry. You know, we're not in a big government organization where we can throw advanced parties out and we can, we can have people doing counter or anti-surveillance. 
So, so what we've got to do is increase the capacity of that single EPO or, or the individual. And we can do that by helping or, or encouraging, influencing those people that, that oscillate or orbit around the person at risk to behave securely. So it's about behaviors, behavioral-based security. Um, so let's not say we don't do security. Let's say we do everything securely. So by, by encouraging and influencing those people around the boss to behave appropriately, that helps create and maintain a secure working, living, social environment, then ultimately we, we, meet, our, we meet our goal, which is to um, enable the principal to live in a risk-free environment. Okay, I like that. And, and yeah, that does tie a lot of the facets of the wider um, community together. Um, obviously, I'm delighted to have you on, but what, where does your passion for this uh, come from? Oh, I'm a, I'm just been, I've been throughout my life a protector of people. Uh, firstly, I'm a, I'm a father, so I, I zealously protect my two daughters. Uh, you know, I'm married, so I protect my wife. Um, and whenever I've gone out with a family member, a loved one, or, or a colleague, a friend, I'm always the one that sort of is almost like looking out, the conscience of the group, making sure that everybody's safe. And, you know, there's no greater risk than taking a, a very young child to school, crossing the road just before you go into the playground. Um, and you you make sure that they get into that playground safely. That's, that's from a personal point of view. But, you know, I joined the Army in 1982. Um, I did a full 24-year career. Uh, that's all about protecting people and providing safe place or, or, or creating safe place for other people to live. Um, and then in the corporate security arena, I moved into, uh, into and again, another sort of head of security type protective role. So I'm always looking out for other people, always looking for the adversarial risk, always looking for proportionate ways to mitigate that risk so other people can enjoy their life. And so... My, my passion is about helping others, I think. I know a lot of people say that. It's an altruistic point of view, but, um, but I, I enjoy it. And if somebody was to say to me, what are your hobbies? I would say protecting other people, but that's also my, my, my employment. That's also where I get the money that puts the food on the table. Um, yeah, so I'm just, I'm just generally a, a boring dude who likes protecting others, who uh, you know, socializes around people that I probably work with um, you know, and and uh, and I enjoy that. It gives me a sense of purpose. Love it, and hopefully that can resonate. And I I noticed you already dropped in altruism, which refers back to uh, Denidra and Chris's uh, session on altruism. So thank mm -hmm. you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. More more body, Easter body eggs. cards and kids. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a, what a great uh, what a great cause. Um, but let's imagine I'm an uninitiated protector. I think I am a protector. I am in a team. That is me. That is the team. What about the entourage concept? What should I better understand about that? Yeah, so I, I believe that we're stronger together. So, so there's, there's a, many people work around successful people. Um, so if they're a CEO, there's, there's a whole group of, of office staff. Uh, if I'm around a high-performing sports person, there's probably people that, that, that work around those fitness coaches, uh, managers, uh, commercial uh, representatives, PR people. Um, so, so wherever you find somebody of success, um, typically also they may put themselves in harm's way because they're high-profile people and you might get fixated people, you might get um, ad adversaries that, that wish them harm. There's going to be a lot of people that work around those. So what I, 
what what I, what I really looking for is is for the EPO to realise that he or she is not the only person that's responsible for protecting the, the key the key individual, the person at risk. Uh, you know, you typically see on films the driver. The driver is very influential, moving people from A to B. You know, the people that work in the house, whether it be a gardener, a housekeeper, a chef, um, always the people that work in the office, the, the personal assistant, the uh, the executive assistant, the uh, you know a fellow board member, um, and those people can help you be successful uh, because they can give you the relevant information. Now, if you remember that uh, Fred Burton was talking about protective intelligence, well, that, mm. that intelligence, that that information that you then look through or you analyze through a security lens to turn it into intelligence, that information comes from many different sources. You know, the Mister Fixer on the ground the concierge at the front door of the hotel, all of these people uh, will give you information. So if you can get that information and turn that into intelligence, um, then you can you can use that to help you. But you'll only get that information from the the close circle of friends if they trust you, if they if they believe that you or if they understand that it would be benefiting, beneficial to you. Mm. It would benefit you to succeed. Um, so I, I think the uninitiated, those people that are looking at improving their uh, service, because we are a service industry, improving that service to their principal, um, they, they need to understand that, that you know, those people around the boss can help you do that. You're not a one-person team. And even so if you are, sorry, Fallon, even if you are the only recognized protector that doesn't mean to say you're the only person that's responsible for protecting. And so how, how far does this entourage go? Are we talking family office, financial interests? Are we, are we talking, um, I don't know, school of principal's children? Um, how, how wide is the entourage? Well, if you remember going back to Olivia Cooper when she was talking about roles in the uh, private office, right? she said she said that there was a lot of, um, uh, parts to the jigsaw. So it could be that you want to make sure that the family, especially if they've got, you know, sort of young children or, or middle or, or, or teenagers, that they're not posting where dad's going tomorrow on, on their social media. You know, it could be that the uh, member of the household um, has a, a, a challenge with alcohol um, and they're in the local bar that's talking about everything that's happening in the house all the time. It could be that the tennis partner, um, you know, is 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 uh, does things that frustrate you as an EPO. So it's it's all in it's all. Um, I, I can't say that it goes out four or five levels. It's all about your relationship with the principal, how long you're with the principal, how much level of trust you've got, how much you know the people that work around them, um, and what you don't want to do, of course, is trying to be too proactive and then end up frustrating the boss because you you're alienating everybody because you're trying to get them to be some superhero. That's not what I'm advocating here. What I'm advocating is, is that once you develop that level of trust, and I'll give you an example, a real world example. Um, if you pull up outside of a, a venue, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's uh, pre known to people. So there's probably camera crew there. There's somebody's going to host you. Somebody's going to meet you at the door. You jump out of the car. You, you, you make sure that it's safe. You bring the principal out of the car. Um, and, and you start walking toward the, the door or to the host. Um, and somebody else gets out of the car and closes the door. Well, closing that door has now cut your, your route of escape 
down by 50%. You can't now go back into the car, which is a safe haven. It's a safe place you've just left because somebody's closed the door and they're trying to be helpful for you. But actually what you'd like them to do is leave the door open until the boss gets into the building, the second safe place, especially if you've got an advanced crew in there. Um, and then, then somebody will close the door and the car will move away. It's little things like that. It's about making sure that the, the executive assistant walks to the left of, of the boss. Uh, say you're approaching a, to a helicopter or something, they walk to the left because they know you want to be on the right-hand side. Right? It's about making sure that they might go through the door first and your boss would go through and then the, the, the EPO would go in slightly behind it's about getting them to do the things that you would like them to do because you know there's a good protective reason for them to do it. Um, so, you know, I, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't advocate you drive straight into the 13-year-old daughter's bedroom and start telling her not to post on the internet certain things. It's, it's your, your, your method of communication to them and how much you ask them to, or how much you disclose to them and how much you ask them to help you it depends on your relationship with with all those involved, and, and maybe your your seniority within the team. Um, because if if you have tenure and if they trust you and you know they they talk candidly around you or whatever, that's very different to I'm first day on the job, and it, and so and so I guess it's it's easier if you've established it and it's just you have it, but how do you map out this? Are there certain places to look? Should you go, right, checklist, who's the butler? Who's the door, uh, you know, operator? Who's the lift operator? If it's some fancy whatever, you know, is, is yeah. there a checklist approach? Yeah, so it's about it's about pattern of life. Uh, you remember a couple of weeks ago, Colin Tansley talked about um, due diligence on your principal. And he talked mm. about making sure that you understood who your principal was before you decided to work with him or her. You know, your reputation is allied to their reputation. So you don't want to be protecting the bad one, right? So it's the same here. Is that you've got to understand your principal. So I've got to actually, I created a se seven stage process for developing this protective entourage. And stage one is about understanding your principal. What does he or she do every day, right? So that might be, you know, um, uh, it, we we would all advocate don't set routines, but but people set routines, and, and and we're always trying to convince them to to break that routine because you can predictable, and if if they're predictable, then that that, that in itself is a vulnerability that which creates risk. Um, so understand what the principle does, and then when you get that pattern of life, you can then understand the people that sort of. Uh, work around you know who's those in the office who are those people that are in the sports club when they go play tennis who are those people on the golf course who are those people that are at the favorite restaurant who are those people that are at the hotel that you all stay into when you travel to that particular city and you start basically creating your stakeholder network who are the stakeholders for various elements of that person's life um and then when you when you you, you sit there and bearing in mind that, that close protection is a pretty tedious sport, isn't it? So we spend a lot of time hanging around for other people to do their business. We have, we have a, a, a large periods of boredom and inactivity. And then we have that sudden surge of rush where we move them from place A to place B, or we go to this public, public, uh, public uh, event or a private event. But a lot of the time you sat there thinking. So this is where you get your mind into this thinking mode. You're saying, right, next week we're going to Vienna. 
Right? When we go to Vienna, we land at this airport. We go out through that side gate. You know, we, we then arrive at the hotel. Uh, we go into our favorite room. You know, then I know that he always has his first evening at this particular restaurant. And you start, you start understanding that pattern life. So the more you understand the boss and the life, the more that you can start using this this uh, uh, process that I'm advocating of making sure that people uh, behave appropriately. So if you if you're a regular visitor to a certain golf course, and every time you get there, that guy who just always sends you to the wrong place, or the person that comes and closes the door, or the person that that is is shuffling around the changing room while the boss is trying to have a quiet word with with the person he's playing with. You know, it's it's you know what who frustrates you? What frustrates you through that day? What puts your principal in a more vulnerable position? Um, what would you like them to do to help you succeed in protecting and make creating this safe work environment or social environment? So once you understand the boss, you start forming the stakeholder group. Once you understand the stakeholder group, how do they annoy you? What, what, you know, what are their behaviours that you would wish you could change? Because that's you starting to formulate ideas for change. Um, and the next thing is you start looking at, you know, right, because we're predictable, because we're in this particular location, because we know that the local population have got a grievance against something, you know, going into Paris over the weekend, you know, Moving the, uh, um, uh, the moving the uh, retirement age or the pension age back by two years, there's going to be a lot of protest in, or there was a lot of protest. So if the boss was going into Paris and he's going to his favourite hotel, you probably wouldn't want to be there on last Saturday night, because you know you you've got that uh, that extra that external um, risk that you can't influence. So you've got to look at your risk matrix as well. And, and understand what's going on in the local environment around you. So you've got a combination of what, what do people do wrong? They may be doing it ignorantly or, or, or through complacency. Um, and and what, what the other risks are. Because then you can start identifying those behaviours that you want to change. Mm. Are you with me so far? Yeah, and, and those beha- behaviours plus pattern of life. Yes. It turns you into concierge in a way, um, which... It's no bad thing. And hey, in some geographies, that's all you can be. Uh, do you remember, I, I don't know, it's a while back, we had Kenji Okamoto just before the Olympics in Tokyo. And he said, well, in some jurisdictions, like mine, <laughs> um, I'm not allowed to do anything bodyguard related, but I can be a concierge service. I can persuade the hotel to let my dedicated lift wait you know just that's a simple thing but I, I, that's stuck in my mind that in some hotels there's a dedicated penthouse lift but they still won't let them keep it um you know it's it's all about relationships and who annoys you i like what you said there frank who annoys you um maybe maybe that's what people should see themselves more more and more as yeah yeah so so i believe that if we were to to understand what what's frustrating we then we understand how we would like them to to change their behaviors when in and around you and all your principal right um and then we start developing this sort of almost like an individual bespoke training plan for each of these stakeholder groups or or even individual people um so and it could be it could be they could be your eyes and ears for instance if we, if we want them to be our eyes and ears, so if you remember Rick Shaw talked about pre-event indicators, um, so 
he 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 advocated that you could almost feel or predict what was about to occur because you can spot the telltale signs. So if somebody else is golfing with you and they see somebody in, I mean, this is a real obvious one, of course, but but somebody in a bush waiting for you to go down the next green, you'd like to think that that person's going to say, Frank, there's somebody in that bush over there. I mean, that's a real cartoon type example. But but if, if people are informed and aware of um, abnormal behavior or, or at-risk behavior, they can notify you. So they effectively become part of your advanced team. They become part of your wider awareness uh, and, and they're vigilant to potential risks. So we're trying to pull them in so that they can A, identify it. And then if we do, and so we're trying to get onto the, you know, the, the sort of left-hand side of the bang, if, if, if you mm. want to uh, resonate with, with those over the pond. Um, but we want to get before the incident. So we're, in, we're, we're currently still in that sort of deter or detect uh, uh, phase of, of our security strategy. Um, but if something does happen, you know, why should you be the only person that knows what to do in response? So we're now on the right-hand side of the bank, of course. But, but if something happens, you want others to help you do what you believe to be the best thing. So it might be that somebody else initiates the uh, 999 call or the, the call to emergency services. It might be that somebody else understands they've got to pack the wound, you know, of a shooting or, or, or a mass trauma through an explosion. It might be that you're injured and incapacitated, but you still want that service to be delivered so other people can help you deliver that service. Um, and again, this is about relationships, and I'm not talking about day one. I'm not talking about probably the first few weeks or, you know, I'm talking about when you get that, that, relation, that point in the relationship where you can have a candid conversation because you've trusted them, um, because you've done your due diligence, as Colin would say, you understand who in the group you can have that candid conversation with but when things go wrong and you're on your own you need other people to step up and if they're going to step up in inside your strategy because you shared with them what you would do um, then you're going to be a better service provider aren't you you're actually going to achieve the goal working as a team um, but it's the members of your team aren't protectors aren't paid protectors but actually what they are is paid to do another role but they are going to help you succeed, whether it's passage, passage, early notification of information, you know, whether it's going to be helping you after an incident's occurred, whether it's going to be recognizing what are the vital pieces of information you need to tell, tell the first responders, you know, mm. being able to continue, continue your role, even though you might personally be incapacitated yourself, you know, because even though it's about preparedness, it's about preparedness and making sure that those around you can add value. Uh, to, to help you deliver their role. Now, there's, there's an important factor here, right? Because we, as human beings, we always always say, what's in this for me? What's in it for me then? Okay, I'm going to help you, but what's in it for me? So part of that long period of time where you're, you're not, you know, driving at high speed for uh, an international city or you're not, um, you know, you're not having to deliver the role firsthand uh, there and then, you've got a lot of this long period of thinking. So the other thing you can do with your thinking period is look at those people that are immediately around the boss and start understanding what they need to succeed. So if you can help them succeed, that relationship's going to be, the bond is going to be tighter. So when you really do need to call upon them to help you, they're not going to question you. 
because you've got the trust of them. You've got that relationship. They understand that if you're asking them to do something, there's a real reason why you want them to do it. Um, and it's not about having to shout at them to get them all excited, to get them to, to motivate them to do it. It's because they understand, you know, hopefully you may have, you know, red teamed, war gamed. You, you, may have, you may have gone through a number of scenarios with them because you've got that trust. You sat in the aeroplane for five hours flying to, to the Far East um, or you're sat on uh, a beach somewhere where you, you're, still, you're still alert, you're still watching what's going on around you, but you can engage in a conversation with the personal assistant, with the, the chauffeur, with the, uh, you know, the person that comes to walk the, the boss's dog every day. You know, I had, a, I had a job in London where my job was, was looking about looking after the dog. Um, not not the, not the family member that was walking the dog. It was more that the, the threat was on somebody had said they were going to kidnap the dog or, or steal the mm. dog. So so that was my role. But but clearly, I'm going to be talking to the dog walker regularly because they're they're in and around that mm. boss's inner circle. Um, and also, you you very quickly understand who who the boss trusts and who has influence over the boss's thought process or decision-making process. So let's say that you're, you're out somewhere and you really need to be back at the hotel, the safe haven, uh, before last light, you know, before it gets dark, because you know after dark it gets particularly challenging. So if, if a trusted member of that entourage is suggesting to the boss that we should get back, um, then you don't really need to raise it. You've achieved your goal by getting back into the hotel before nightfall, but somebody else in the team has suggested it, especially if it's a trusted advisor, because you want the boss to, to live his or her life um, free from that, that feeling of entrapment or that feeling of imprisonment. So if, if, we're, if we're influencing his or her pattern of life and it's not coming from the security advisor, then it's not a, it's not a security need, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you know, it's the same as, as, you know, somebody answering the front door to an unknown knock, uh, somebody receiving uh, a parcel from the Amazon man. You know, you want, you want those people to, to be security aware. You can't go and answer the door. You can't go and check every package that's getting delivered to the boss's home. You know, you, you need other people to, to behave securely to create and maintain that secure home, work, social environment. And, you know, you bring up some extra entourage stakeholders I hadn't really considered, like dogs. Um, yeah. You know, we <clears throat> people might laugh at dogs, but I think we even had Colin Singer on uh, talking about uh, dogs and also expensive dogs, Tibetan Mastiffs. They are about a million dollars. So, yeah. you know, don't want that go walkies. Uh, or, or maybe you do want to take it walkies. <laughs> ah, right. Um, but, but, but also other stakeholders that, uh, you know, like mail and uh, deliveries and, and things like that. So... Yeah that maybe this is a good segue into some of your wider work. Cause I know you do a lot on the security partnerships world. Um, I, uh, you, you, you and I were sort of talking offline about the way in which I suppose anyone can be a channel partner for anyone else at any one time, which is hopefully why we should really get along with each other a bit better. Um, can, can, can you maybe elaborate about that? And also for the people that don't know what, channel uh means uh i'm i'm referring to it like distributor um uh what 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 are you what are you working on on on, on that side 
Yeah, so I, I believe that we're stronger together. And, and I started that earlier on in the conversation. And this goes outside of the EP re regime. So I, I, was, I was doing close protection in the military um, some time ago, you know, in the late 80s, 90s, early 90s. Um, I then subsequently went through the, our Royal Military Police Close Protection School at Longmore in Hampshire in the UK. Um, and uh, so I, I, I've done the role um, and then I've trained the role or, or I've, I've taught the role. But if I was to go back now, having spent 15 years in, in the corporate security environment um, and, and deliver the same training, I'd do it in a much different way. Uh, and, and I'd use two or three key key words, right? So uh, empathy. I, I think that if you can communicate through empathy and, and, and almost take yourself out of your, your environment and put yourself in, into the person that you're communicating with, right? So, so if, I'm, if I understand what they want to get from this and they want to, uh, what they need to succeed, then, then I think I'm a better communicator. And I'm always going to communicate so, so that it's received, it's relevant to the person I'm talking to. It's, it's personal. So I've got to get some personal skin in that game. Um, but also it's important to them. Right? If it's just about everything's important to me, but I'm not cared what, what's important to you, then we're not going to be very good communicators. Um, and, and I think that those, those three, three personal, relevant, and important communicate through empathy and then humility, right? So, so I'm not going to be the smartest person in the conversation, every conversation I have. So I've got to understand I'm going to learn. So if I'm talking to the concierge, for instance, he or she is going to be teaching me or educating me or at least passing information to me that's relevant for me just as soon as I leave that hotel with the boss, right? They are a source of information. So it's about partnering. I'm going to, I've got to partner with many different people. Um, and uh, my last job, who was uh, head of security of the largest construction site in, in Europe, at Hinkley Point C in Somerset, um, I, had a, I had a project long partnership with a security service provider. Uh, and they were everything to me. You know, they, if I wanted any additional service, I went to them. They acted as my partner. I was the client. Um, and then they went out to their network, their supply chain, to bring in the specialist skills. And let, let me tell you what I mean by that, is that, that um, I wanted to develop a, and support the wider organization in developing a pre-employment or, or a pre-workday drug and alcohol screening program. So my partner went and fetched a dog, you know, a, a specialist trained dog that could, that could detect the presence of, of drugs on a person. They went and found a technical service provider who could do breath or, um, yeah, a, a breath or, or mouth swabs to do the analysis, right? With, with the back of house laboratory so I could get the results quite quickly, right? Um, they also provided a uh, service to look at the transport management of, of all of the equipment that was coming onto this particular construction site. So really all I needed to do was have one partner, but that I chose the right partner who then had an extended supply chain who could bring all these specialist services in. So if I wanted to sweep a newly constructed office for uh, electronic countermeasures, I didn't go and 
and write a tender or bring a bid, put a bid together to go and get three quotes uh, and then select the best quote on, on whatever criteria it was that I selected them on because that's what my organization needed me to do. I went to my partner and they did it and they bought in that that person. So, for instance, if I, in putting it back into the EP world, Fallon, if, if, if I knew that my, my boss's car, whether it be my, our, our protective vehicle or whether it be uh, something that's part of his or her fleet of executive vehicles, um, I, it needs to go into the garage. Right? So, so which garage do we go to? You know, who, who goes with it to the garage and sits with it throughout the whole of the process? You know, who, who does all of that? It's not going to be me, the EP guy, because I'm sat in the office bored out of my head while the boss is working, meeting with people in the boardroom. You know, I can't go and take the car to the garage and, and probably neither can my driver or, or the boss's driver. Um, so you've got to have that extended network of trusted partners, uh, trusted people that, that need to, to help you succeed every day. And, and that's, not, that's not just in, in the security world, that's in every world, isn't it? You know, if, mm. if you, like you, you run conventions um, or you run um, study days uh, where you pull people together, although you do do everything, actually, because I've seen you work, but not, like, you, you wouldn't want to do everything personally yourself. You bring mm. in trusted people and they do it for you, whether it be the refreshments, whether it be the audio visual, whether it be the, you know, the, the front of house, meeting, greeting people, making sure that they're checking IDs and making sure that actually the right people are attending yours, you know. Mm. You, you get people to do that on your behalf, but, but you, only, you can only sort of walk away from them once you trust them. Um, so pre-employment screening is, is a big thing for me as well. If, you, if you're bringing people into the boss's household uh, or they are looking at uh, hiring new people, whether it be in the office or whether it be in there, you, you should be able to influence that those people are who they say they are. Mm. Their motivation is pure. They haven't got spent convictions. They're not, you know, they're not going to bring something into the family that's, that, that would be at risk to the family reputation or the organizational reputation. So I, I don't know how to validate somebody's pre-employment screening, uh, you know, but I do know somebody who can do that for me because I've worked with them previously. And, and I, I think, again, before we came, before we started recording, you, you asked me, uh, you know, what, what, what other things I do. Um, I'm very quick to say what I don't do as well. You know, I can say, and somebody might come to me and say, you know, right, Frank, I would like you to do this. I can say, you know, I, I, I haven't got that skill set. But what I have got is somebody that I trust who has got that skill set. Mm -hmm. Would you mind me bringing them in? Or would you mind me facilitating an introduction to them? And um, we, we were talking about the uh, relationship building or networking success with John Morrison previously. I, I think you've had a conversation yeah. with John about that. And it is about making sure that you're kind, making sure that you're respectful of all people that you meet, making sure that you listen and understand the value that they provide a service or, or a quality or a thought process or, you know, and sometimes you have to listen to people you don't agree with just to understand the other side of that argument, because then you can then develop a counter narrative and deliver with confidence because you understand you're, you're empathizing with their point of view. Um, so 
So, you know, getting that network, you can call it a network, you can call it partnering, you can call it trusted relationships, you can call whatever you like. But I, I tend to say partnering because you need two people. It's a bit like a marriage. You know, mm-hmm. you, sometimes you've got to give. Sometimes you take more than what you, 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 you give. Um, and sometimes you have to compromise. So if you get a, a whole group of people in, in a room to, to design and deliver a horse, you might end up with a zebra. Mm. You know, it looks like a bloody horse, but actually it's the wrong color and it doesn't eat the same food. And you don't typically see cowboys riding around in ze- on zebras. But, you know, so so sometimes you just got to be happy with a zebra. OK, all right. Sometimes you've got to be happy with a zebra. <laughs> but but this this concept, this idea of partnering and, you know, almost paying it forward. You didn't say pay it forward, but it's almost like pay it forward. Yeah, it's not not me. But I mean, it's pretty powerful. It's pretty powerful. You know, not I, I don't do this. I would definitely respect someone that says I don't do this Um, in the building trade. It's it's actually just happened recently to me. Someone said, oh, it's not me. I'm like, ah, oh, well, thank you for not, you know, not hoodwinking me. Um. But 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 I guess that means you know the power of one throat to choke in a way. If you have a single contractor that has their own network, you don't need to send out RFIs, RFPs. Um, so there is something quite attractive about that. But maybe on the altruistic side again, in the defence sector, let's say there's there's a big project up for grabs and someone wins the prime contractor position. Well, what I have observed is other people in that bidding instead of basically crying uh, they say well do you know what maybe i could be the second tier maybe i could be the third tier um i i think we 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 should see more opportunities like that with with ep shouldn't we Some, someone has won the big glamorous contract but there's still second third tier work isn't there yeah definitely and and uh i don't know i know somebody uh very well who used to run a um a, an education they provided nannies that looked after infant children and school children. Now, it might be that you win the overall contract to provide a protective entourage or your protective service to a client, but you have got no experience in in young children or, or infant children. Um, it may be, uh, we talked about the dog earlier on, uh, it may be that, that you have to bring in a trusted partner, uh, you know, and, and you know, with prior agreement with with your client you you say well i can uh, this is a pretty expansive uh, scope of work there's a lot of technical elements to it um yes i can be your partner um but what i would plan to do is bring in this this and this to do these elements of that piece of work um and then you you feed off them or sorry you you, you supply them with with um with work because you know you would like to think if you've got a good relationship that they might win something else and bring you in um, and there's there's a there's another piece of, of my life that I'm just developing at the moment, having just been recently elected as a as a a, a director in the Security Institute. In Congratulations! The Thank you very much for that. Thank you. Uh, and it's something that again, another piece of altruistic voluntary work. But it's something where I'm trying to coalesce around the institute like-minded people to go and and uh, project this the protective security industry in the UK construction industry, right? So, so by getting what our fellow competitors, probably bidding for same pieces of work in the security world, I want to try and get them together to take them out of our industry or take our industry into somebody else's industry. Um, so at this point, they're 
collaborators that are going to go and promote the security industry. Um, but ultimately, I'm sure with half a mind, they will be thinking, well, you know, as an industry, we can develop this service to you. But actually, you should come with my company because I am the best, you know. So, so you've got this sort of, you know, so you can do so far of the journey together, but then you need to have that unique selling point that's going to put you right up the top of that pile, you know. So, but if, if we can help each other out in our fields, my, my area is behavioral-based security. Uh, my area is protecting construction sites, big mega construction sites. But today I'm talking to you, you know, in a, in a, in, on, as part of the Circuit Magazine podcast, talking about executive protection and protecting others. You know, it's, it's fields away, but actually it's not. You know, it actually, the, the, the foundation of, you know, the, the security management review, um, understanding and bringing skills that I developed in the corporate security world into the executive protection world, um, recognizing how I delivered, uh, it, you know, right through to 2006, how I delivered close protection services and training people to deliver close protection services. I then reflect back you know, sort of uh, 15 years later, I reflect back on the new learning that I've learned in the corporate security world, back on the role that I used to do and how can we improve it? Can we evolve it? Can we, can we develop these processes that are pretty simple, repetitive, um, easy to understand um, to improve what we used to do before? Because, you know, if, if, I, if ever I was going to write a book, the title of my book would be The Older I Get, The Better I Was. You know, because we're all much, much better in hindsight than what we were, you know, when we was actually delivering that service. And, and sometimes I wish my health and my, my, my body would allow me to go back and do it again. I, I will never do executive protection again. Uh, I've got my SIA license, but I, I don't think I could, I could go and do that, that job again. But hopefully through something like this and, and the things that I produce and post regularly on LinkedIn, hopefully my experience can help others do it slightly, probably not better, but do it in a different way that's more impactful. Uh, but it has to be relevant to their context. It has to be right for the person they're trying to protect. Um, horses for courses. Yeah. And and that, and that is part of the entourage because now, now you might not be a frontline uh, operator, but... You're part of the entourage. Um, yeah. There's there's back office entourage. There's wider entourage. There's entourage from afar. Maybe LinkedIn is part of the entourage. Who knows? Um, yeah. I, I really I really like this this concept and and the concept of partnerships. I think is very very timely. Um, yeah. There will always be geographies and occasions where there are slim pickings and there's really not enough work but by and large there is a lot of work globally there is a lot of opportunity as long as you see yourself as part of an entourage and uh you know a, a, a distribution partner or a referral partner yeah so let me let me remind you of something that, that ken perry said when he was talking about media safety advisors you know and and i listened to that with interest i can remember the day i was listening to it because i was i was chopping kindling in my garage and he was talking and i thought he was very wise because he was talking about um he's got to protect these media personnel that go into war war situations i think it was just after the uh syrian turkey um i, I was listening to it anyway just after the syrian turkey um earthquakes 
Um, and he was he and others were going into harm's way. It wasn't a safe environment. Uh, it potentially wasn't a war environment, although he has worked in that sort of things. But what he was saying was he needs to work with the producers. He needs to work with the presenters. He needs to work with the in-country fixers. He needs to work with the whole team to get things done. So he was carrying spare batteries for the camera. He was carrying camera equipment. He was making sure that the um, that the the uh, presenter was getting and the crew was getting. As soon as they got back, they were getting fed. Right? They were getting coffee. I don't know whether you could remember the episode, but mm. he was basically being a real helper for the whole team. Right? Then I'll listen to other podcasts or read other articles where EP officers will say you can't carry a bag because you need to be alert and ready to go. You know, you shouldn't be the one that's opening the door. You, you know, it's, it's about fitting into that team um, and helping them all be successful as well. Um, so so uh, Ken was saying, I, I'm, I'm a protector, you know, but I'm also a part of a team member. So there's two, I play two roles here. I protect and make sure everybody's safe and the environment's safe for them to get their piece to camera, to be able to write their article, to be able to inform the rest of the world of what's going on in this hazardous environment. But I'm also a team player who's making sure that they're getting fed or they're getting, you know, the cars are being put in the right place or, you know, we're ready to go again should something happen the next day. One, one of my roles, I, I was part of a joint um, SAS RMPCP team uh, in Europe, in, in Bosnia. And one of my roles, was, as soon as we got back into the house or back to the, the location, was making sure the fuel was, the vehicle was fueled up. The, the windscreens were cleaned. You know, they uh, they were we were ready to go again because we don't know if the next mortar is going to land in on the roof of the house and we need to use that vehicle as a, as an emergency escape vehicle or whatever. But it's not about I think, and this is a degree of humility and, and, and empathy. I think that you've just got to be a really good team player if you want other people to play in your team, um, and if you want the entourage to help you provide and maintain a secure environment for the boss to live, work, and rest, socialize, then you've got to help them succeed as well. Um, so I thought that was very insightful mm. that Ken was talking about. And, and you know, I, I don't know Ken at all. I, I only know him from, from that conversation that I listened to that you had with him. Um, but he, he spoke a lot of truth to me, as do a lot of your guests, actually. And you are perhaps the number one advocate for the podcast. I, 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 I'm impressed by your recall knowledge and, um, you know, it's uh it's 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 really really heartening <clears throat> that you uh you know you engage with the content and 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 can stitch these uh, pieces together i really i really appreciate that um i hope i i mean if if there's others out there doing the same thing we want to hear from you because it's often the case uh if people like what you're doing you don't hear from them so so uh, we're very very appreciative of that so so bruce mcindy i think he talked about the unified protector and, and I think the, the lesson I took away from that is we can't be all things to all people all of the time. Um, but what we can do is, is try and be part of a team and meld, meld people together. We, 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 I mean, you were talking about, should we have a team doctor? Should we have a, a dedicated team analyst? Um, well, well should, no, you're really, you're really showing off with your recall. This is really good. Yeah, but, but, but should, should, should somebody be, you know, should we have a protective intelligence person as part of our team all of the time? And the answer to me most of the time is, is no, right? But the answer to me is that somebody in the team needs to do that duty. So what you often talk about is the component parts that are required to create and maintain this safe world. 
Um, but but unless you're a really big team, and I, I don't know of any commercial team that has got everybody that that your your fellow my your guests have, have advocated. We all need to know, and this is where we're coming back to this partnership bit. We all need to know somebody. So I, I think you know your your team talk about phoning phoning a friend or oh, I can't remember the line that you used. Now, who are you going to call? Yeah, who are you going to call? Yeah, who are you going to call? As long as you know who you're going to call, uh, and sometimes they're calling you, so you need to be the person that's being called as well. Um, and if you're if you're uh, altruistic or if you're open with the advice that you get, you give sign that you give. When they call, when you're calling them, hopefully you're going to get that back. So if you find yourself that, you know, the, the boss is, somebody's taken ill on the plane and you've, you've gone down in an unknown city or, you, or an unplanned city, um, you, you need to know, you know, is there somebody you can call to help you, mm. whether it meets you or whether it, it's the second, second line support. You know, you're, you're in this city, you just need to get out of it now and, and can somebody can you pick up the phone and that's partnering that that's networking you know as john would say what's the difference between partnering and networking i don't know but but it, it's you know this has this developing a protective entourage if you understand the pattern of life if you understand the adversarial risks if you understand uh, what behaviors you would like people to adopt you can create these little sort of one-on-ones or this you know, if each stakeholder group, if you created the top six key behaviours that you'd like them to adopt, you can whisper that into somebody's ear over a 15-minute journey and know that when you arrive, it's going to work, right? Yeah, so it's not, I'm not talking about trying to get everybody in the entourage to be paid protectors and, you know, get their SIA licence. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people just behaving in a secure way that would help you uh, create this work safe work environment or would reduce the number of unnecessary vulnerabilities that they're bringing into your security strategy and it's incredibly hard to do but i i, I could i could teach the whole close protection syllabus by using um two or three films from hollywood you know not that they not that that we do it that way but that you could use that footage and those situations to either say this is why they're doing it that way, if you understand the theoretical aspect of it, or this is why you should not do it that way, you know. Mm. Um, and the, the bodyguards are filmed, the line of fire, you know, uh, Guarding Tess is a fantastic educational film. If you take out the, the you know, with Nicolas Cage, if, if, you, if you watch that film uh, and you understand what they are trying to do, and then you understand the way they're delivering it. You can either use it as a positive learning point, mm. or you can lose it, use it as a an example of how not to do it. Um, and mm. I, I I posted the other day on LinkedIn about Perez, uh, the Formula One racing car driver. He drives for Red Bull. He just won the race in Baku, the capital of Azerbaijan, um, and he was doing a media walk, and he walked for about uh, seven minutes with two presenters on Sky. Sky Sports, um, and he was being manhandled all the way through by 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 um, you know people in the paddock. There were there were fans. They wanted selfies. They wanted you know whatever they wanted. They wanted. But at, just as they finished, and he peeled off and went to the right hand side, the female uh, presenter. I do know her name, but I won't mention. But the female presenter said, "Where the hell was security?" Because she could feel that this 
Formula One racing car driver was being in a in a very uncomfortable position, um, and she detected that this wasn't correct. She was aware that that wasn't working the way it should normally work because too many people. I mean, these are their prized assets. The drivers are their prized assets. If if one of those were to get, well, you know, on my post I said I don't want to be reading about a Formula One racing car driver coming to some, you know, being injured or coming putting in harm's way unnecessarily. Um, and that's what we've got to understand. She knew that something wasn't right. So somebody in your entourage, when they know it's not right, because you you had a conversation with them about it, explained what you would expect to to happen, that they they are already now starting to react on your behalf. You know. Yeah. Um, so it, it is about. Um, I, I think people either behave poorly or they uh, do things wrong for three reasons. The first one is is ignorance. They just don't know how to behave. Uh, they, they don't know what the rules are, what the etiquette is. Right. The second one is complacency. They do know, but they momentarily forgot, or it slipped their mind because they're focusing on their own job or their own part of this life. Uh, and the third one is with malicious intent. They are knowingly doing something wrong, and, and they've balanced the consequence, i.e., you know, mm. that they've balanced what the outcome might be. So education, awareness, uh, behavioral-based security defeats all three of those. The first two, ignorance and complacency, because you've just brought it to their, their fore, their, their, in the front of their mind when it needs to be, personal, relevant, and important. And the third one is other people recognize the third, third one behaving with malicious intent. And what I mean by that is, is, is somebody hiding around, you know, beyond that tree in the garden waiting for you to leave before they come and attack the house, you know? They, they, the gardener might, what are you doing in the garden, mate? You know, what, why are you there? Or somebody else is walking past it. Oh, but, you know, somebody will help you trigger the appropriate response. And that's what mm. you want them to do through, through good security awareness and vigilance. Triggering the appropriate response and the entourage. What, what a nice series of case studies. And, and, and thanks for bringing it to life so very vividly um i i really appreciate this because you know sometimes people just band about your phrase like uh working together or you know cooperation partnerships but i think this is a very good uh, expose um well frank thank you very much for coming on thank you for being such a diligent listener i i i hope if there are more franks out there who can have total recall of all of our episodes please do let us know because we do like to hear uh from from you um, so from Frank and myself, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. Thank you, fellow. Thank you, mate. Well, I was particularly honoured that Frank remembered so many other episodes of the Circuit Magazine podcast, probably even more than I do. And, and, and that's really our objective for the body of work of the Circuit Magazine podcast, not just to bring the pages of the Circuit Magazine to life, but also to be, uh, I suppose, a body of knowledge, uh, a canon, pardon the pun, of knowledge 
in, all in it, all in its own. And and it was wonderful to bring Frank uh, to this event because, of course, he has experience both in EP and in consulting. And as we've said many times, there are many routes to career progression and many people want to become a security consultant later in life. Uh, some people want to devote themselves to training and, and, and that's fantastic. But but I think this really paints a very important picture. Plus, it helps us really bring new elements of the entourage to life for you the listener so hopefully hopefully this has really really done that and if you want to learn more please do contact frank and i'm sure he'll either love to give you uh, you know a segment of his uh, his knowledge or his advice or you can talk about the Sega magazine podcast because that's what it's all about and so coming up we uh absolutely uh, want you to look at the article Frank is uh, writing or has written uh, for the Sega Magazine podcast. That'd be great. If you have an article you want to share, we'd love to hear from you and include it in the next edition of the actual magazine. Um, I myself, I'm very much looking forward to seeing many of our community in uh, the DC, Maryland, Virginia area uh, this week on the 11th of May for the Physical Cyber Convergence Forum, specializing in EP modernization. That's in uh, the Lorien Hotel and Spa um, in Alexandria, Virginia. And 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 others uh, of you will, will undoubtedly be looking forward to great events over the summer coming up to things like GSX and then out to the IPSB later in the year. So keep those calendar invites uh you know ready get ready for networking there will be an opportunity for networking near you so short and sweet but i thought what what better way than to thank frank than do a personal intro outro for this episode thank you for being such a great friend of the magazine uh, and a champion for the cause of ep uh, modernization and evolution so thanks very much this has been the Entourage edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.